welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. G.K. Chesterton once said, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. But if you're like me, you expect everything to be perfect the first time. And imperfection leads to frustration, which leads to doubt and either ends in failure or fear of being terrible forever. In psychology, this is called an all or nothing mindset. When it comes to faith, we have all these examples of perfection in the saints or even other Catholics we see in the pews or on social media who raise the bar with their level of commitment to Christ. But what about the rest of us? What about those of us who struggle to sit for 20 intentional minutes of prayer? What about those of us who can't keep our anger in check or have to repeatedly ask for forgiveness? What about those of us who have a hard time getting to Mass regularly, let alone remembering every single saint's feast day or celebrate all the holidays in the most Catholic way? Do we need to achieve the same level of perfection to be worthy of entrance into heaven? Is God's love something we need to earn or achieve. Today, I've asked Sister Gerilyn of the Sisters of Christian Charity and Director of Formation for the Spiritual Directors in our Diocese to help us unpack perfection and use these examples as inspiration, not intimidation. Sister Gerilyn, thank you so much for coming in again today. I love having you on the program because I love your perspective and your honesty and your humor. And it's just so awesome to have you back. So thank you for taking it's the time. It's been my pleasure. A couple of weeks ago, we talked to Chris Wood, um, who's one of the spiritual directors in the diocese. And he mentioned that one of your many roles in the diocese is you help train other spiritual directors. Could you tell me a little bit about what being a spiritual director is and what's involved? Well, first thing, it's a, it's a call. It's a ministry. It's a call to a specific ministry within the church. Um, our program is unique because it's the only, we're the only diocese in the whole state of Pennsylvania that has a program to train lay folks to be spiritual directors, which is incredible. And that was the visionary of, of Bishop Gaynor. And, you know, shout out to him. What is it? It's a three-year program, and we meet uh, once a month for three years in which we have specific readings of books, probably about 200 pages in books, or it's either a whole book or section of a book. And then each of the candidates write a reflection, not necessarily on like a book report, but how, to, how they integrated what they were reading. And then we do um, what we call triads, kind of like baby practice sessions of what spiritual direction is all about. We do that for three years, and then the last year, for two years, then the last year, each of the candidates gets a directee, kind of like a guinea pig, and goes through them through the same rhythm of a, a meeting with them and also meeting with a supervisor. And the supervisor not necessarily talks about what 
their spiritual direction session was about with their directee. But sometimes when spiritual directors listen to people's stories, some of their own junk gets in the way and their supervisors allow them to process that junk so that they could be truly open to how the Holy Spirit um, is talking to them to help their directee to come closer to God. That's fascinating. Spiritual direction is something I really didn't know a whole lot about until this year. So is it kind of like like a spiritual therapist in a no, way? No, it's not therapy at all. Okay. So what basically what it is, it, the great, there's a scriptural uh, background of that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, 100%. So the, the charism of that. But I like to th- say it like the walk to Emmaus. Hmm. There are two, two apostles, two disciples of, of Jesus who are really upset. And they're talking about it. They're just talking to, about it to one another. And in that journey, who stands right behind them? But Jesus himself. <laughs> so the director is kind of like, the, the spiritual friend on the journey to find Christ. And, f- and the director assists through the work of the Holy Spirit, the directee, to see Christ in the common, th- like the breaking of bread. <laughs> and there is Jesus. So that's basically what it does. But, but the, our program is a three-year formation program. So it's not training, it's a formation program. And in that formation program, Carol Morell, who's the instructor, I'm, it's kind of like principal instructor mode, you know, I'm the principal, she's the instructor, um, in a sense, we both discern whether or not the individual was specifically called to the ministry. And it's, it's, there's clear indications that the person is open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that, um, especially within the triads, because they observe. So it's, it's director, directee, and then an observer. And that observer, not just Carol I, but somebody else, you know, kind of like gives them the directy kind of points like, you know, that was really good or that really needs to be improved or 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 something like that, you know. Um, and it's a, it's a learning it's a learning experience, 100 percent learning experience. So that's really cool. And I love that our diocese is one of the only ones that that has a program that's that in depth. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, which is a, a great a great gift that, that Bishop Gaynor has given to us. It really is. So the last cohort, uh, we had nine graduates on the last cohort and we're in, we're be just in January. We'll begin year three for our, our new uh, candidates for the program. So they'll be out there looking for people to, to be directees. And, and there's, there's no 17, 17 aspirants candidates, um, for the program this time around. Very cool. So in researching this episode, I was doing a lot of research on saints and all the saints. We have the communion of saints in heaven and all of that. But can you elaborate for me? What is a saint? And do you have to have that ST in front of your name to be considered one? Okay. So there's a difference between a saint and a saint. And I know you can't say that on, on a podcast, but you spell saint with a small s. And if, or Satan with a capital S. Okay, small s, everyone who is baptized is a saint. Because hmm. everybody is baptized is called to be holy in a specific way. Now, the church, though, studies individual stories, individual people. And they study their story, they study their life, they study their, 
the gifts that they had. And they're like, yeah, this is a good role model. This person really, really, truly lived a virtue heroically. And then they declare that with a, ma- a miracle associated with them, one or two, actually two miracles associated with them, and they become a saint with a capital S. There are billions upon billions of saints that will never be recognized for their heroic virtues. I'm thinking the thousands and thousands of mothers who sacrifice their life for their children. You know, especially in, in um, third world countries that, and even in our country, who choose not to eat to give their food to their, their kids. That's sanctity that will never be recognized by society. You know, and there's a million ways of being holy, of being a saint. And a, a lot of them are, are go hidden on this side of eternity. But they will be all revealed to everyone on the next side of eternity. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. That makes a lot of sense. And especially because, like, in in doing the research, you know, you read these saints that have, like, really extraordinary lives. Like, they fasted for days at a time or they pray for days at a time, living in a constant state of penance. It's, like, when I think of it, I think of it like training for the Olympics. They go, they're hardcore all the way, 100% all the time. And while it's admirable, it's also very intimidating. So do we have to live that extreme? to get into heaven yes but but you have to be live a prophetic life which means you have to live according to what god dictates us and that's countercultural. so that's extreme now can that look like you know can you live on the top of a stylus like the, the saints of the uh, you know same time stock who lived like 100 years i'm exaggerating that lived on top of a, a pole for his as a hermit well that's kind of a bit rare but, you know, it's the small, hidden things that makes us holy as well. That can be a sacrificial. Like, actually, when you talk to somebody, don't, like, look them in the eye, acknowledging their worth, rather than talking over their shoulder. Talking to the homeless. Now, I'm not saying you're being your best friend, but greeting them and to acknowledge their presence that's sanctity because that's there are billions upon people of ways of being invisible now granted you know there's always safety issues with that but even something like that small yeah like just acknowledging they're that they're also human yes and that they exist yes 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 so it's a lot has to do with the culture of the person a lot has to do with um the times of the church, but there there are saints among us who are living a holy life in their lifestyle, in in their specific lifestyle that the church might recognize, you know, or the church might never recognize. That's part of the mystery. I give you a for instance. This is hysterical. I was when I was a classroom teacher. Okay, I had a a. a, a symbol, a sign of my hand. I would, I would like squeeze, and, and you can't see, see, see this, but I would take my hand, and like you're squeezing an invisible orange, okay? And that was an ugly finder. And I would go across, and I told this to the students. These were middle, sixth, seventh graders. These are middle, middle school students. And I said, if you see this, it's called an ugly, ugly finder, and it finds people doing ugly things. 
So I used to squeeze the orange, ugly finder, right? And the kids would stop because they kind of like knew that they should be doing it. And I could do this across a room. I could do this across the church. It, it was just awesome. Okay. And a, a, a priest, a parochial vicar of the parish that I was serving in the school came into my classroom when, of course, you, you, you position your body halfway in the classroom, halfway out of the classroom. Our conversation continued. The, the, vo- the voices, the, the volume in the class kind of increased. I stuck my hand into the ugly finder. The volume decreased. And this was like three times. The fourth time, the father said to me, what are you doing? I said, oh, this is an ugly finder, right? He walks in. He does the same met symbol to them. And one of the kids said to him, oh, father, father, it doesn't work with you. She's got the power. And he was like, well, what do you mean? He's got, she's got the power. Don't you know she's holy? And we listen to her because she's holy. She knows about God. And father's like, uh, what about me? <laughs> and I'm getting redder and redder and redder. Well, we don't know you as well. We can't tell. Oh my goodness. I have did not live that down from him like forever. It was pretty funny. It really was. I love that. And it, the ugly finder is a technique I'm definitely going to have to try on my kids. So we talked a little bit about holiness, about how the kids thought you were holier than father. What is holiness and how can the average person live a holy life in the midst of our culture that doesn't seem to value it? Holiness is living out God's love, and it can be done billions different ways. Um, but God's love is definitely countercultural. It calls us, calls you to be other. It calls you to be a prophet in a world that doesn't respect and and understand who prophets are. It doesn't mean that you stand on the corner banging a pot and says you go to hell. No, it's the small, small, tiny footsteps about practicing God's love and acts of charity, which is the other word of charity is love. Caritas means love. But it's all about God's love and living in that love and knowing how to act, how to respond, and how to give service in love. It's all about love. It's all about love. Not to sound cliche, but I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when, When we met with Chris Wood, he was saying that you know, we are the body of Christ and that we have to be the arms and legs of the body of Christ when we meet an actual person. And I thought I loved that visual. And I love hearing you reiterate that it's it's about showing love. It's about being love and mirroring the love that God has for us to other people. And, and you know, our society is all full of hatred and anger right now. Yes. I mean, I know I'm, I've been called to love even more. To love the people who don't know what love, true love is. There's a, there's a starvation of what love is among adults, among children. And children have to learn from the adults what it is. And if they've never experienced them before, that's pretty sad. You know, you think of the children's story, the Velveteen Rabbit, you know. The story always made me cry. Yeah. About what true love is, you know. And those individuals who know what love is are the skin horse who stand in the middle of the nursery, uh, the middle of society, and points to what love is and how love can change people. That's beautiful. Kind of piggybacking off of that, we 
talked about society, but I've seen a lot of people online touting their devoutness to the faith or how they and their families live a holy life. And I know they mean for it to be an inspiration. And a lot of times it is, but I can't help but feeling like, you know, a lot of times like I'm not doing enough. And I find myself getting caught in this cycle of trying to be perfect or trying to be like those that I perceive as perfect. And then I found the Bible verse, Matthew chapter five, verse 48, where it says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So this question is kind of messy because I couldn't think of a better way to phrase it, but how can we balance striving for perfection in faith while also acknowledging our fallenness and refusing to be brought down by it? So we're wordsmiths, you know, like perfection is something that we all should strive for, but we're never going to get there. You know, like the models in the, in the store, in the magazines, uh, you know, the whole body image thing, you know, gray hair, wrinkles, being overweight, we're never going to be perfect. That's part of the human condition. But there's a nagging dark side to that that comes from evil. Like give up. You'll never be who you who want to be. Give up. But perfection is being humble. I mean, think of the humility of Christ. Christ who, through his word, created the entire universe, which we can't even wrap our brains around. He created it. The Father created it through the Word. God said there was. Boink! And through Jesus, the Word, the Logos, it was. And yet, that Word became a baby, was entombed in Mary's womb for nine months, was taught how to walk, how to talk, had diapers, you know, like went to school. Joseph and Mary taught the Son of God, how to pray to the Father. The humility of God to, became, to become one of us, to show us what love was, and to die all because of love. Because he hungered, he wanted us to have a relationship with him. He claimed us as, as his own, his sons and daughters. So perfection is being humble. Now, true humility is truth. You know, it's like, you know, you don't say, oh, I'm so, blah, blah, blah. No, there's also false, false humility. But true humility, is, true humility is truth. Living in that truth that we are failed, sinful creatures, but we are infinitely loved. And, and living in that love and we do we, we make mistakes. We screw up. We say I'm sorry. Pick ourselves up and keep going. In a different venue, it's like the first three steps of the 12 step program. I can't control blah blah. My addiction, you know, my drug use, my alcohol use, overeating. I can't control blah blah. But I know God can. And I'll surrender that to him. That's where the perfection comes from being humble to admit that we're not we're not him and let go that's where the perfection comes from yes that makes a lot of sense when you put it that way it helps it helps break it down a little bit for us piggybacking off of that you mentioned this a little bit but sometimes we fall into that trap of of all or nothing you know 
if if it's not perfect the first time, like this is terrible, I'm terrible, I give up. Is God going to withhold entrance to us to heaven if we're not good enough? Or put a different way, do we have to earn our ticket to heaven? We can't earn it. Salvation is a, is a love gift. All we have to do is respond to love, to his love, to admit our weakness, to know that we can't do it without him, and to try our best to avoid the temptations and the pitfalls of sin. And we'll screw up. We'll, we'll make a mistake. That's why the sacrament reconciliation is all about. To go to the sacrament saying, I'm sorry. I will try harder. Give me the grace to do that. And he does. If we lean on it. But the moment in which I can do this myself, we're going to fall right in our face all over again. And like, ah, okay, I learned that lesson for about 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, I find myself tripping and falling and eating my words on a lot of occasions, as I'm sure a lot of us do. But, you know, you, you, you think of the children, especially little guys, little kids, who trip and fall and put their hands up asking for mommy or daddy to, to help them. That's what we should do with our God that childlikeness and surrender. It's like, I can't do this alone. You need to help me. And really mean that. And really be open to that. Because he does, will, he will help. Right. Like a child learning to walk, they, they fall repeatedly, but you don't see them sit there and say, wow, I'm never going to do this again. Right. Exactly. They keep getting back up and keep asking for help. And just that childlike innocence of, I can't do it by myself. I love that. That's a great, that's a great analogy. But that's, and we forget that as adults. So what are some ways that we can continue to strive for heaven in a society that doesn't necessarily value it, that focuses more on instant gratification and having options and for lack of a better term, doesn't have much of a fighting spirit? Well, I think bottom line is that you have to develop and deepen, um, first develop and then deepen your relationship with Christ. How do you do that? By prayer. You know, like we brush our teeth, we take a shower, we clean our, we wash our clothes. That's commonplace, you know, for, at least for most of us. That's what, think about prayer, and I don't care how you do it. I don't care whether you open up scripture and chew on the word. I don't care if you pray a rosary. I don't, I don't care if you spend some time in Lexio Divina, but it's got to be at least 20 minutes a day. Has to be to develop a relationship with the God who hungers after you, okay? That relationship will give you strength to fight against the things in our society that's not of God. You know, okay, so that's one side. Part of it, too, is saying that instant gratification, you know, like, I'll have a piece of toast that's dry with no butter on it. I love a second cup of coffee. I only have one. Or better yet, not to have sugar in it or not to have milk. I'm not saying every day for the rest of your life. I'm just saying the little self-denials that's all part of our life. You know, when the alarm clock rings, rather than going ah, and slapping the snooze alarm, get up when it rings and saying, I, off, I give this to you, to you my my dear, dearest Lord, as a love gift, 
that teaches us that it's not our will, but his be done. That teaches us how to not to hunger after the instant gratification. That teaches us some little gumption, some, you know, a backbone, as people say, that it's not about what I want, but rather than it's about what he wants. And those little things offered up do amount to a lot. True story. I'm a storyteller. What can I tell you? So many, many years ago, during Lent, one Mass, at Mass, I heard God whisper to me, are you willing to sacrifice this Lent for someone who's in need? I'm like, kind of tr- fear and trepidation because I really didn't know what it was. He didn't spell it out. And I'm like, uh... And he asked me again, are you willing to, to, to offer this Lent for, to assist somebody and I'm like, uh, still not quite sure of not what I was hearing or even should I say yes. But I did. And for five weeks, life was absolutely miserable. The sisters I lived with were just irritated me to no end. I, I, my prayer dried up. Everything was annoyance. The kids were just off the wall because Easter was coming and I was a classroom teacher, it was just like one growl after another. And I'm like, I know I said yes, Jesus. I give this to you. This is not fun. This is tough. Okay. And then came Holy Week. And it got darker. My prayer got darker. It got drier. I was like, I just want to get away. Blah, blah, blah. Then it came to the services on Good Friday. And when I bent over to kiss the cross... I felt like, literally felt like a hundred pound weight fell off my shoulders. I felt like skipping back to the pew after I did that. I'm like, no, no, can't do that. Can't do that. That's what it felt like. A couple weeks later, a friend of mine who's suffering from depression said to me, you know, I said, so how was your, how was your Lent? How was your Easter? She said, oh, Lent was rough. But I had a real deep sense that somebody was helped carrying my depression. And I didn't need to be hospitalized because of it. Somebody indeed was walking with me. Now, am I saying that I was carrying her cross? No, no. But that was a confirmation that even things like as simple as that makes a difference. Because we are part of the mystical body of Christ. We're all, we're all in this together. We're all connected there's why we get, sacrifice and give up things, even outside of Lent, because that's why we become stronger to fight against the temptations that the evil one is lurking around and wanting us to fall on our face and say no to, that, say no to God's love. So would you say that being too focused on being too perfect is misdirection oh it's pride look what i've done look how holy i that's pharisaical (laughs) you know that's modern day phariseeism no that's pride no we can't we can't make one hair gray or one hair black we can't make a we can't do anything by ourselves we can't we truly can't but with christ we can do all things and that's a hundred percent scriptural Absolutely. Well, sister, 
as always, thank you for having this great conversation with me. And I look forward to seeing you around. And I hope whoever needed to hear this heard it today. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.